Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Today we're reading from Fifty Famous Tales by James Baldwin. The White Ship King Henry, the handsome scholar, had one son named William, whom he dearly loved. The young man was noble and brave, and everybody hoped that he would someday be the King of England. One summer Prince William went with his father across the sea to look after their lands in France. They were welcomed with joy by all their people there. And the young prince was so gallant and kind that he won the love of all who saw him. But at last the time came for them to go back to England. The king, with his wise men and brave knights, set sail early in the day, but Prince William, with his younger friends, waited a little while. They had so joyous a time in France that they were in no great haste to tear themselves away. Then they went on board of the ship which was waiting to carry them home. It was a beautiful ship with white sails and white masts, and it had been fitted up on purpose for this voyage. The sea was smooth, the winds were fair, and no one thought of danger. On the ship, everything had been arranged to make the trip a pleasant one. There was music and dancing, and everybody was merry and glad. The sun had gone down before the white-winged vessel was fairly out of the bay. But what of that? The moon was at its full, and it would give light enough and before dawn of the morrow the narrow sea would be crossed. And so the prince and the young people who were with him gave themselves up to merriment and feasting and joy. The earlier hours of the night passed by. Then there was a cry of alarm on the deck. A moment afterward there was a great crash. The ship had struck upon a rock. The water rushed in. She was sinking. Ah, where now were those who had lately been so heart-free and glad? Every heart was full of fear. No one knew what to do. A small boat was quickly launched, and the prince, with a few of his bravest friends, leaped into it. They pushed off just as the ship was beginning to settle beneath the waves. Would they be saved? They had rowed hardly ten yards from the ship, when there was a cry from among those who were left behind. "'Row back!' cried the prince. "'It is my little sister. She must be saved.' The men did not dare to disobey." The boat was again brought alongside of the sinking vessel. The prince stood up and held out his arms for his sister. At that moment the ship gave a great lurch forward into the waves. One shriek of terror was heard, and then all was still save the sound of the moaning waters. Ship and boat, prince and princess, and all the gay company that had set sail from France went down to the bottom together. One man clung to a floating plank and was saved the next day. He was the only person alive to tell the sad story. When King Henry heard of the death of his son, his grief was more than he could bear. His heart was broken. He had no more joy in life, and men say that no one ever saw him smile again. Here is a poem about him that your teacher may read to you, and perhaps, after a while, you may learn it by heart. He never smiled again. The bark that held the prince went down. The sweeping waves rolled on, and what was England's glorious crown to him that wept a son? He lived, for life may long be born, ere sorrow breaks its chain. 
Why comes not death to those who mourn? He never smiled again. There stood proud forms before his throne, the stately and the brave. But who could fill the place of one, that one beneath the wave? Before him passed the young and fair, in pleasure's reckless train. But seas dashed o'er his son's bright hair, he never smiled again. He sat where festal bowls went round, he heard the minstrel sing, he saw the tourney's victor crowned amid the nightly ring. A murmur of the restless deep was bent with every strain, a voice of winds that would not sleep, he never smiled again. Hearts in that time closed o'er the trace of vows once fondly poured, and strangers took the kinsman's place at many a joyous board. Graves which true love had bathed with tears were left to heaven's bright rain. Fresh hopes were born for other years. He never smiled again. King John and the Abbot, Part 1. The Three Questions. There once was a king of England whose name was John. He was a bad king, for he was harsh and cruel to his people, and so long as he could have his own way, he did not care what became of other folks. He was the worst king that England ever had. Now there was in a town of Canterbury a rich old abbot who lived in grand style in a great house called the Abbey. Every day a hundred noblemen sat down with him to dine, and fifty brave knights in fine velvet coats and gold chains waited upon him at his table. When King John heard of the way in which this abbot lived, he made up his mind to put a stop to it, so he sent for the old man to come and see him. "'How now, my good abbot,' he said, "'I hear that you keep a far better house than I. How dare you do such a thing? Don't you know that no man in the land ought to live better than the king? And I tell you that no man shall.' "'Oh, king,' said the abbot, "'I beg to say that I am spending nothing but what is my own. I hope that you will not think ill of me for making things pleasant for my friends and the brave knights who are with me.' "'Think ill of you?' said the king. "'How can I help but think ill of you? "'All that there is in this broad land is mine by right, "'and how do you dare put me to shame "'by living in grander style than I? "'One would think that you were trying to be king in my place.' "'Oh, do not say so,' said the abbot, "'for I—' "'Not another word,' cried the king. "'Your fault is plain, "'and unless you can answer me three questions, "'your head shall be cut off, "'and all your riches shall be mine.' "'I will try to answer them, O king,' said the abbot. "'Well, then,' said King John, "'as I sit here with my crown of gold on my head, "'you must tell me within a day just how long I shall live. Secondly, you must tell me how soon I shall ride round the whole world. "'And lastly, you shall tell me what I think.' "'O king,' said the abbot, "'these are deep, hard questions, and I cannot answer them just now. "'But if you will give me two weeks to think about them, "'I will do the best I can.' Two weeks you shall have,' said the king. "'But if then you fail to answer me, "'you shall lose your head, and all your lands shall be mine.' "'The abbot went away very sad and in great fear. "'He first rode to Oxford. "'Here was a great school called a university, "'and he wanted to see if any of the wise professors could help him. "'But they shook their heads and said there was nothing about King John "'in any of their books. "'Then the abbot rode down to Cambridge, "'where there was another university.' but not one of the teachers in that great school could help him. At last, sad and sorrowful, he rode toward home to bid his friends and his brave knights good-bye, for now he had not a week to live. Part 2. The Three Answers 
As the abbot was riding up the lane which led to his grand house, he met his shepherd going to the fields. "'Welcome home, good master,' cried the shepherd. "'What news do you bring us from great King John?' "'Sad news, sad news,' said the abbot, and then he told him all that had happened. "'Cheer up, cheer up, good master,' said the shepherd. "'Have you never yet heard that a fool may teach a wise man wit? "'I think I can help you out of your trouble.' "'You help me?' cried the abbot. "'How? How?' "'Well,' answered the shepherd, "'you know that everybody says that I look just like you, "'and that I have sometimes been mistaken for you. "'So lend me your servants and your horse and your gown, "'and I will go up to London and see the king. "'If nothing else can be done, I can at least die in your place.' "'My good shepherd,' said the abbot, "'you are very, very kind, "'and I have a mind to let you try your plan.' But if the worst comes to the worst, you shall not die for me. I will die for myself. So the shepherd got ready to go at once. He dressed himself with great care. Over his shepherd's coat he threw the abbot's long gown, and he borrowed the abbot's cap and golden staff. When all was ready, no one in the world would have thought that he was not the great man himself. Then he mounted his horse, and with a great train of servants set out for London. Of course the king did not know him. "'Welcome, Sir Abbot,' he said. "'It is a good thing you have come back. "'But, prompt as you are, "'if you fail to answer my three questions, "'you shall lose your head.' "'I am ready to answer them, O King,' said the shepherd. "'Indeed, indeed,' said the King, "'and he laughed to himself. "'Well, then, answer my first question. "'How long shall I live? "'Come, you must tell me to the very day.' "'You shall live,' said the shepherd, "'until the day that you die, "'and not one day longer.' and you shall die when you take your last breath, and not one moment before. The king laughed. You are witty, I see, he said, but we will let that pass and say that your answer is right. And now tell me, how soon may I ride around the world? You must rise with the sun, said the shepherd, and you must ride with the sun until it rises again the next morning. As soon as you do that, you will find that you have ridden around the world in twenty-four hours. The king laughed again. Indeed, he said, I did not think that it could be done so soon. You are not only witty, but you are wise, and we will let this answer pass. And now comes my third and last question. What do I think? That is an easy question, said the shepherd. You think that I am the abbot of Canterbury. But, to tell you the truth, I am only his poor shepherd, and I have come to beg your pardon for him and for me. And with that he threw off his long gown. The king laughed loud and long. "'A merry fellow you are,' said he, "'and you shall be the abbot of Canterbury in your master's place.' "'O oh, king, that cannot be,' said the shepherd, "'for I can neither read nor write.' "'Very well, then,' said the king. "'I will give you something else to pay you for this merry joke. "'I will give you four pieces of silver every week as long as you live. "'And when you get home, you may tell the old abbot "'that you have brought him a free pardon from King John.' A STORY OF ROBIN HOOD In the rude days of King Richard and King John, there were many great woods in England. The most famous of these was Sherwood Forest, where the king often went to hunt deer. In this forest there lived a band of daring men called outlaws. They had done something that was against the laws of the land, and had been forced to hide themselves in the woods to save their lives. There they spent their time in roaming about among the trees, in hunting the king's deer, and in robbing rich travelers that came that way. 
There were nearly a hundred of these outlaws, and their leader was a bold fellow called Robin Hood. They were dressed in suits of green and armed with bows and arrows, and sometimes they carried long wooden lances and broad swords, which they knew how to handle well. Whenever they had taken anything, it was brought and laid at the feet of Robin Hood, whom they called their king. He then divided it fairly among them, giving to each man his just share. Robin never allowed his men to harm anybody, but the rich men who lived in great houses and did no work. He was always kind to the poor, and he often sent help to them, and for that reason the common people looked upon him as their friend. Long after he was dead, men liked to talk about his deeds. Some praised him, and some blamed him. He was, indeed, a rude, lawless fellow, but at that time people did not think of right and wrong as they do now. A great many songs were made up about Robin Hood, and these songs were sung in the cottages and huts all over the land for hundreds of years afterward. Here is a little story that is told in one of those songs. Robin Hood was standing one day under a green tree by the roadside. While he was listening to the birds among the leaves, he saw a young man passing by. This young man was dressed in a fine suit of bright red cloth, and, as he tripped gaily along the road, he seemed to be happy as the day. "'I will not trouble him,' said Robin Hood, "'for I think he is on his way to his wedding.' The next day Robin stood in the same place. He had not been there long when he saw the same young man coming down the road, but he did not seem to be so happy this time. He had left his scarlet coat at home, and at every step he sighed and groaned. "'Ah, the sad day, the sad day,' he kept saying to himself. Then Robin Hood stepped out from under the tree and said, "'I say, young man, have you any money to spare for my merry men and me?' "'I have nothing at all,' said the young man, "'but five shillings and a ring.' "'A gold ring?' asked Robin." "'Yes,' said the young man. "'It is a gold ring. Here it is.' "'Ah, I see,' said Robin. "'It is a wedding ring.' "'I have kept it these seven years,' said the young man. "'I have kept it to give it to my bride on our wedding day. "'We were going to be married yesterday. "'But her father has promised her to a rich old man whom she never saw, "'and now my heart is broken.' "'What is your name?' asked Robin. "'My name is Alan Adale,' said the young man.' "'What will you give me in gold or fee?' said Robin. "'If I help you win your bride again, in spite of the rich old man to whom she has been promised.' "'I have no money,' said Alan. "'But I promise to be your servant.' "'How many miles is it to the place where the maiden lives?' asked Robin. "'It is not far,' said Alan. "'But she is to be married this very day, and the church is five miles away.' Then Robin made haste to dress himself as a harper, and in the afternoon he stood in the door of the church. "'Who are you?' said the bishop, "'and what are you doing here?' "'I am a bold harper,' said Robin, "'the best in the north country.' "'I am glad you have come,' said the bishop kindly. "'There is no music that I like so well as that of the harp. "'Come in and play for us.' "'I will go in,' said Robin Hood, "'but I will not give you any music "'until I see the bride and bridegroom.' Just then an old man came in. He was dressed in rich clothing, but was bent with age, and was feeble and gray. By his side walked a fair young girl. Her cheeks were very pale, and her eyes were full of tears. "'This is no match,' said Robin. "'Let the bride choose for herself.' Then he put his horn to his lips and blew three times. The very next minute four and twenty men, all dressed in green and carrying long bows in their hands, came running across the fields. As they marched into the church, 
all in the row. The foremost among them was Allen a Dale. Now, whom do you choose? said Robin to the maiden. I choose Allen a Dale, she said, blushing. And Allen a Dale you shall have, said Robin. And he that takes you from Allen a Dale shall find that he has Robin Hood to deal with. And so the fair maiden and Allen a Dale were married then and there, and the rich old man went home in a great rage. And thus having ended this merry wedding, the bride looked like a queen, and so they returned to the merry green wood amongst the leaves so green. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Stay connected by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash enchantedlibrary. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash enchantedlibrary. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading.